I invite you to turn with me to our text for this Lord's Day, which is found in Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God." And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. And Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. One of the sins people seem to despise more than any other in the lives of other people is that of hypocrisy. How it really irritates us when we see people pretending to be someone in a particular situation and we know they're not that person in another situation. And yet... Are we as critical uh, of the hypocrisy in our own lives that we are and that we see in the lives of others? Do we see all too clearly the hypocrisy in others, but conveniently overlook the hypocrisy in our own lives? Do you really want to see your hypocrisy? In all of its ugliness, do you want to see it so that you can repent of it? So that you can seek God's forgiveness 
for it so that you can live more consistently to the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, that is where true repentance must begin. Wanting to see your hypocrisy. That's the problem with hypocrisy. We don't want to see it. Perhaps the greatest objection against Christians that is hurled more often than any other is that the church has hypocrites in it. Well, that is true. The church does have hypocrites in it. There are indeed hypocrites in the visible church of Jesus Christ. Just as there are hypocrites uh, in school, hypocrites in government, hypocrites in homes, hypocrites at work, uh, hypocrites among atheists, hypocrites among other false religions, and hypocrites, yes, in the church as well. Wherever you look, there are those who play a role for others to see, but who are quite different when they are alone or at home where they don't have to maintain that disguise, where they can take the mask off until they are in public once again. There is a difference, and I want to emphasize this. There is a difference between one who commits the sin of hypocrisy and one who lives as an unrepentant hypocrite. Just as there is a difference between one who commits the sin of idolatry and one who lives as an unrepentant idolater. We can fall into sins of idolatry where we cherish the things of this world more than we cherish Christ. That's idolatry. It's establishing another lover. It's setting something else upon the throne of our lives when we do so. And when we continue, if one continues in that unrepentant idolatry, it is true that one then becomes an idolater. The Apostle Peter, as you'll recall, was guilty of the sin of hypocrisy in Galatians chapter 2, where he once kept fellowship with the Gentiles in Antioch. But when the Jews from Jerusalem, who kept the dietary law, came up to Antioch, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles, stopped eating their their uh, non-kosher food. And the Apostle Paul, in public, rebuked Peter for his dissimil- dissimulation, for his dissembling before uh, the church, practicing hypocrisy in that situation. Now, Peter was certainly justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And in this particular case, he repented of his sin. And Peter was therefore, though having committed the sin of hypocrisy, he was not a hypocrite. But he did fall into that sin in this, on this particular occasion for our instruction, for our own instruction about the nature of hypocrisy. 
Christians do fall into the sin of hypocrisy. We all do. None of us are completely and totally consistent as to our profession and our deeds. We all fall into hypocrisy to varying degrees. But Christians also, those who are true Christians, Christians also repent of the sin of hypocrisy in their lives. On the other hand, having looked at Peter, on the other hand, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, was an unrepentant hypocrite who was never justified, who was never a child of God, but was called the son of perdition by the Lord Jesus in John 17, 12. That same term, son of perdition, is used with regard to another character in the Bible. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, who is the greatest hypocrite? The Pope, the papacy, the papal antichrist who sits upon the throne within the church pretending to be uh, God or God-like, drawing the attention of the world unto himself. In fact, the harshest condemnation issued by the Lord Jesus was not against those who knew they were sinners, whether publicans, that is, cheating tax collectors, or even the prostitutes and the harlots. It's not brought against them. They knew they were sinners, but was leveled against unrepentant hypocrites who pretended to be so pious outwardly but inwardly were proud and self-righteous, looking for the approval of men rather than humbly looking in faith to Christ as their only righteousness before God. In fact, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28, listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Dear ones, we are confronted in Acts chapter 5 with two unrepentant hypocrites. Ananias and Sapphira. And the Holy Spirit reveals to us this sin that we might not be those who simply look at others as falling into the sin of hypocrisy, but may be on constant watch and guard that we ourselves not do so. And in so doing, deceive ourselves into believing that it's no big deal. Hypocrisy is no big deal. That's something that we must avoid. 
the inconsistencies and the contradictions in our life should shake us, should bother us, should grieve us, should sorrow, should cause sorrow within us. So we fall upon our faces and pray and call out to the Lord, Lord, save me. Cleanse me of this hypocrisy. And we're going to talk about some of the steps that uh, the scripture gives to us to deal with our own hypocrisy. This historical account in Acts chapter 5 makes it very clear that God is not indifferent to hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. God hates it. And most importantly, dear ones, Jesus Jesus died to save hypocrites who will trust in him and repent of their sin just as he died to save idolaters, to save adulterers, to save murderers, and to save thieves. There is forgiveness, dear ones, in Jesus Christ for all sinners who come in faith, casting themselves upon him. The main points from our text this Lord's Day are the following. First of all, the church has hypocrites. Acts 5, 1 through 2. The second main point. Hypocrites cannot hide from God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4 and 7 through 9. And the third main point. Hypocrites cannot flee from God's judgment. In Acts 5, 5, 10 through 11. First of all, then, the church has hypocrites. Notice, again, first two verses of Acts chapter 5. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, in what has just proceeded in Acts chapter 4, we have just heard of the wondrous works of God and and the works of, of God's Spirit in the lives of God's people in leading them to even sell property, to give of themselves in such a way, sacrificially, to meet the needs of God's people. Brothers and sisters who were very much in need of help. One of those within the church of Jerusalem that is is specifically noted in Acts chapter 4, verses 36 through 37, is that of Barnabas. An an example uh, that is given to us. Barnabas exemplified the words of the Lord Jesus Christ that are found in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So likewise, Jesus said, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, and is gives up all claim to what he owns, to Christ, 
he cannot be my disciple. Barnabas exemplified those words. However, here in Acts 5.1, we are met with a significant contrast in the word, the first word in Acts 5.1, but. It's kind of a, uh, a place where a chapter division occurs. And remember the chapter divisions and verse, verse divisions are not inspired. Uh, they were added much later. They're not a part of the original text. But it's kind of an unhappy uh, separation and division because here is the contrast to Barnabas that was just mentioned at the end of chapter 4. It should just continue. Having spoken about Barnabas, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. Whereas Barnabas was a trophy of God's wondrous grace, in humbly and sacrificially giving to the kingdom of God, not to gain the approval of men, not to get a pat on the back, uh, but to show forth his love for Christ and to show forth his love for his fellow Christian brethren. Here the Holy Spirit now contrasts Barnabas with a married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who conspired together to play the role of a Barnabas, but who actually were more like Judas Iscariot in giving to the kingdom of God in order to be seen and rewarded by men in order to, to have gain, to obtain gain and profit for themselves. At the very outset, when such displays of God's work of grace and power in the church were so evident, as we have seen in in chapter 4, there appear tares among the wheat, unrepented hypocrites who seek to deceive the church for their own self-centered gain. Ananias and Sapphira no doubt saw how Barnabas was looked upon by the apostles and by others for his selfless donation, for his care, earnest care for the poor. And they coveted the same attention. Perhaps Ananias thought that such a display of generosity, at least outward generosity, would win him some special place of service, perhaps an office in the church. Let's consider what Ananias and Sapphira actually conspired together to do. They agreed together to sell a possession, it says. That is, a piece of property. And to keep for themselves a certain portion of the profit, while all the time telling the apostles that they had given the entire amount that had been sold. So, as Peter said, it was yours while it was in your hands. Even after you sold it, you could have kept it all. You know, God wants this type of giving. This is a free will offering. This is meeting the needs of others. God wants us to give cheerfully. God wants us to give voluntarily to meet the needs of others. And so Peter tells Paul, it was with you, it was yours. 
but they conspired together because they wanted the acclaim, the favor that they saw bestowed upon Barnabas. They desired that, which they saw in Barnabas from the church, perhaps from the apostles as well, who gave him the surname, the son of consolation. And so they said one thing, but they did something altogether different. That's hypocrisy. Furthermore, that's lying. They lied to God. They not only lied to to the church, they not only lied to the apostles, but they lied most significantly to God himself. So first of all, they were guilty of lying to God. But they were also guilty of covetousness in that they craved the attention, the respect, the office, the grace, and the gifts of Barnabas and others for their own selfish gain and their own selfish profit. Even though what they gave by way of what they laid at the apostles' feet could be used, no doubt, to minister to the needs of others, the real reason behind the gift was to make themselves look good before others in the church. It is necessary, dear ones, to see that behind their hypocrisy was the sinful desire to have what others had. That's covetousness. To be exalted, to be rewarded, to gain the approval of the apostles and and of the other members of the church. They were looking for personal gain. And this is always true of unrepentant hypocrites. Dear ones, what was the chief sin? What was the chief sin lying behind the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira? Yes, they lied. Yes, they coveted. But I submit the chief sin lying behind their hypocrisy was pride. It was that that was at the root of their lying hypocrisy and their coveting hypocrisy. You see, it was all about them and not about God. It was all about love for self and not love for Jesus Christ and for the brethren. It was all about their own glory rather than the glory of Jesus Christ. That's pride. Oh, how our pride, dear ones, looks for ways to exalt ourselves in the eyes of others. It's always seeking. That's what pride is doing within us. It's looking for ways to exalt ourselves before God and before others. And then to sulk like little children to wallow in self-pity because we did not receive the praise of others that someone else did. Oh, how our pride, dear ones, is willing even to put a brother or sister down, if necessary, in order to make ourselves look better in the eyes of others. So much of our criticism of others proceeds from pride and putting others down 
to make ourselves look better. Proud hypocrisy, lying hypocrisy, covetous hypocrisy is always, dear ones, competing with others. Everyone around us becomes a rival rather than rejoicing in the gifts and the graces of others. We're always in this competitive race to have more honor, more glory than the next person. God be merciful to us sinners. For if our pride, dear ones, is not checked by humble, repentant confession and seeking from the Lord forgiveness, it will grow. That pride will grow into full-blown hypocrisy in living a double life. Kind of like being a double agent. One way when we're that group of people and a different way when we're with that group of people. One way in public and another way in secret, as was the case with Ananias and Sapphira, as was the case with Judas, as was the case with Simon the sorcerer, as was the case with Balaam, living a double life. What follows? What follows when the pride of hypocrisy the lying of hypocrisy and the covetousness of hypocrisy is not confessed with a godly sorrow looking to the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what happens is that indifference sets in to our life about our inconsistencies and our hypocrisy. We become indifferent to it altogether to such an extent that we're not even our consciences are not even pricked anymore. Uh, uh, that we're merely going through the motions of our Christian faith, of our love for Jesus Christ, because it's grown cold, but we act as though we're red hot, and that our obedience is simply, and it's become a, a mere outward shadow. It's become merely uh, uh, an outward obedience, not an obedience that proceeds from our heart. And then that callousness, that indifference uh, to hypocrisy in our lives will lead to self-deception, self-delusion, wherein we actually justify our hypocrisy. We justify it by comparing ourselves to others who we say are more hypocritical than we are. I'm not like, and we may compare ourselves to the charlatans on TV, I'm not like those people. We will not turn the light to examine our own hearts with regard to our own hypocrisy. Or by comparing ourselves with others whose lives are more notorious for sin than are we. We may say, I'm not like my neighbor who cheats on his wife or wastes his money on toys or parties with the boys. I'm not like him, but all that's intended to do is to keep the light away from being shined into our own lives. Or by simply counting the ways in our own minds that we help others generally keep the commandments of God. So we can itemize and say, 
we justify our hypocrisy by saying, you know, look who I gave to. Look what I did here. Look at how I, uh, like the rich young ruler, how I've kept the commandments of God. But again, it's all exterior. It's all outward. It's not looking at the heart. Just like the Pharisees. Just like the Pharisees. Cleaned the outside of the cup. The inside of the cup was filthy. Who painted the outside of the sepulcher, but the sepulcher was full of dead men's bones. Like the church of Sardis, who had a name, but they were alive. But Jesus says, you're dead. You just have a name. Dear ones, once you have been given over to self-delusion and believing then that you are a good person, a good Christian because of your mere outward obedience, you are ripe to becoming an unrepentant hypocrite because you live a life of continually justifying yourself in your own hypocrisy. Well, what can we do? What can we do that we fall not into hypocrisy nor live therein? Because, as I said, I think we all fall into hypocrisy. How can we avoid it? How can we set a wall about us? How do we deal with it? Well, first of all, I've got several suggestions. First of all, you can grow in the gospel. You can grow in understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you are united to Jesus Christ. You are united to all of his benefits. You are united to Christ in his death so that you die to sin, so that hypocrisy doesn't have some claim over your life that you must walk in those contradictions and inconsistencies in your life. And you are alive in Christ to righteousness, dead to sin because you're in Christ, alive to righteousness in Jesus Christ. You need daily to account yourself dead to that sin as well as to other sins but dead to that sin as if as if you're a corpse and that sin comes as sin comes to tempt you you are like that corpse you have as much obligation to follow that sin of hypocrisy as does that corpse to respond to the sin of hypocrisy Under the same suggestion of growing in the gospel, that involves also not being a stranger to Jesus Christ. By little or no communion with Christ, you, you are united to Christ and you are to commune with Christ. You are to enjoy Jesus Christ. You're not simply to to have this formal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are to have communion and sweet fellowship with Jesus Christ. He is a person 
as is God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each are persons. So you are to have communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Not be estranged from him. And dear ones, the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that you not be indifferent to your sin, or in this case, to hypocrisy. That you grow in your hatred of hypocrisy, beginning of that, that hypocrisy in your own life. So, so many times we're so, uh, we hate the hypocrisy we see in the lives of others. But we need to hate even more so, I submit to you, the, the, the sin of hypocrisy in our own life. Secondly, a second suggestion, seek the grace of humility. If pride is the root root sin behind hypocrisy, then we are in desperate need of the grace of humility. Whenever you see pride raising its ugly head in your life. Whenever you see hypocrisy raising its ugly head in your life, practice a godly replacement therapy where every time you are tempted and you see and God shows you the pride in your life, which you should be asking the Lord to show you, and shows you the hypocrisy in your life, that you turn it around and you ask the Lord to replace that pride and that hypocrisy with humility. If every time that we see pride and uh, hypocrisy in our life, we took the opportunity not only to repent and to grieve over our sin and to seek God's forgiveness, but then to replace that and say, Lord, replace that with this. We would be praying throughout the day that God would grant us more and more the grace of humility in our lives. Thirdly, examine your heart. That's a hard thing to do. That's why we need humility. Examine your heart for pride, for hypocrisy, for inconsistencies and contradictions, for lying, for covetousness, for discontentment, for jealousy. The unrepentant hypocrite does not examine his life. That's why he continues in his hypocrisy. The Christian examines his or her life. And God shows to the Christian the hypocrisy in our lives. We pray along with David in Psalm 139. We sing along with David in Psalm 139 as well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. See if there be any hypocrisy in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Fourthly, fourth suggestion I have for you. 
practice the presence of God who knows all and sees all. Nothing can be hidden from him. In Psalm 44, verses 20 through 21, we read, If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a strange God, shall not God search this out? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. Beloved, if you can lie, steal, and cheat at work and yet think everything is fine when you approach God in worship, then you treat God, you treat God as one of those from whom you have stolen. And you believe you can lie and cheat God and get away with it. God, dear ones, we learn in the word, God will not be deceived, God will not be mocked with such hypocrisy. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we play the hypocrite with our neighbor whom we can see, I submit to you we will also play the hypocrite with God whom we cannot see. Number five. Think often about your death. For we need to be reminded that we will not live long in these mortal bodies. And death may come quicker to some of us than to others. No no doubt we're not all going to die on the same day. So death will come sooner to some of us than others. And it doesn't simply mean that death is going to come quicker to me because I have gray hair than it will come to you. It means that God has an appointed time for all of us and we need to be ready at all times because death does not necessarily give us an advance warning as to when that appointment will be. Since this life vanishes so soon, how can we afford to be playing games with God who knows all and sees all? And to go through the motions of faith in in light of our approaching death. David says, or actually Moses says in Psalm 90 verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Not to live foolishly, not to live as though we're never going to die but to think often about our death so that we do not waste our lives, so that we do not live a life that brings dishonor and shame to, to the Lord, so that we do not live a life in which we simply walk in our hypocrisy. Recognize death is coming to us all. And finally, think often about the final judgment. Dear ones, there is coming a day when all that is in our hearts will be revealed and uncovered by God. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Apostle Paul says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We will stand before the Lord to give an account. 
How foolish for us to think that we can forever hide our hypocrisy then. Now is the time, beloved. Now is the time to be perfectly honest with Jesus and to stop pretending and going through the motions, the mere motions, outward motions of Christianity, but to live it out in our hearts. The second main point and these last two main points will go much more quickly than the first point, but the second main point, hypocrites cannot hide from God. Look with me at Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, and then 7 through 9. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Then verses 7 through 9. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered and Uh, unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Hypocrites, unrepentant hypocrites, act as though God does not see them and as if God does not hear them in secret or is no more than a mere man in being able to see only their outward behavior. Hypocrites, unrepentant hypocrites have deceived themselves into believing that lie. Well, this was certainly true of Ananias and Sapphira. But notice what God says through Peter to Ananias and to Sapphira, which we just read. He reveals the secrets of their own hearts. He opens them up as if he were reading a book. The Lord knows. There are no no cloudy uh, pages. There are no... Uh, pages that are blank before God, he sees and knows all that is in our heart, as he did with Ananias and Sapphira. Now that can be very, very troubling to us if we don't first grow, understand and grow in the gospel. It can be such a, a dread, a slavish fear knowing that Almighty God sees everything we think and do, everything we know, everything that is in our heart about us, no secret at all. Apart from the gospel, that is overwhelming. That, I submit to you, brought Ananias and Sapphira to their death. But... As we know and understand, as we receive 
as we grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we know that he who knows us perfectly, he is the one who loves us perfectly. And that brings to us such comfort and joy that the knowledge that God has about us, God does not use to judge us. He uses that knowledge to sanctify us, to grow us in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can you even imagine the panic and shock that suddenly overwhelmed Ananias and Sapphira as they heard Peter reveal to them what they had planned in secret and what was buried in the deepest recesses of their heart that they had not told anyone else? Dear ones, nothing can be hid from the Lord. They couldn't hide it, nor can we. And therefore, every reason for us to be transparent before the Lord, to be honest before our God about the sins in our life, to pour out our hearts unto him, going through what he shows to us by way of our need of him and our and what... Uh, uh, yet corruption lies within our in our lives. I submit that Ananias and Sapphira here, as you've already gathered throughout this sermon, that they were not regenerate Christians who fell into the sin of hypocrisy as do all of God's elect to varying degrees, but rather that they were a stark contrast to a true believer, namely Barnabas. They were unrepentant hypocrites. In fact, we find in Acts 5.3, Peter says, and says, why, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Satan had filled their hearts. You know, Satan sifted Peter like wheat according to the word of the Lord in Luke twenty two thirty one, But Satan entered into Judas, in John thirteen twenty seven, and Satan filled the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. Redeemed Christians, Darren's, in the church of Jerusalem were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts four thirty one. but Ananias were filled with Satan. In Acts 5.3, Ananias and Sapphira, Germans, were unrepentant hypocrites like Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, who, recall, believed, gave outward profession to the message of the gospel that was proclaimed by Philip, the, the evangelist, and was even baptized. But when uh, Peter and John came and he saw the miraculous uh, events happening as, as um, Peter and John put their hands, laid their hands upon those there in Samaria. And they began to manifest various wonders as that happened. He wanted to purchase and buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter basically says to him, 
you know, your, your uh, evil and wicked heart that you have in seeking to obtain by price and purchase this gift perish with you. You know, and Satan may certainly lead the elect of God into temptation. And the elect of God may fall into sin as a result of that temptation. But he cannot fill them or control them because greater is he that is in us the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world, Satan, according to 1 John 4, 4. And when Peter does reveal to both of them, to Ananias and Sapphira, their sin, there is no indication at all of their repentance from the text. No indication that they repented or even sought to repent. Before leaving the second main point, I want you to observe that Peter makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit here is God and not an impersonal force or an impersonal power of God, but that the Holy Spirit is himself the third person of the Holy Trinity. Note the parallel statements by Peter as to whom it was uh, that Ananias lied. He lied to the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 5.3. And in Acts 5.4, he lied to God. And so those parallel statements, he lied to the Holy Spirit, he lied to God, uh, he lied to the Holy Spirit, who is God. Note also that Ananias and Sapphira, it says, tested the Spirit of God by acting as though they could pull the wool over God's own eyes. In Acts 5.9. We do the same thing, beloved. We do the same thing when we act as though God doesn't see us in our secret sins or the sins of the heart. Or when we challenge the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the goodness of God. By placing ourselves in tempting situations and then crying out to God, Lord, rescue us. We're putting God to the test. We're saying, Lord, you show me that you will rescue me though I take a lunge over the cliff. You save me and rescue me and show that you are God putting God to the test. It's what the children of Israel did in the wilderness in Psalm 78, verses 17 through 19, where it says, And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They were challenging God. God, dear ones, does not look upon that type of a challenge uh, to be a righteous challenge. 
they were simply expressing their doubt, not their faith. They were expressing a doubt. It's like saying, God, you can't provide a table for us in the wilderness. We come to the third and final main point. Hypocrites cannot flee from God's judgment. Acts 5.5 5, and then verses 10 through 11. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. Verse 10 through 11. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost, and the young man came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband, and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. When Ananias and Sapphira heard the words of Peter, when their hearts were disclosed, when they realized this was not a secret, God knew what they had done. They perished on the spot. This was, dear ones, the work of God. Uh, Peter didn't push them down. He didn't even touch them. Nothing is indicated to that effect. God gave to his church a visual lesson as to what will befall the unrepentant hypocrite. This temporal judgment in death is simply a foretaste of the everlasting judgment that will befall all unrepentant hypocrites like Judas, Ananias and Sapphira, Simon the sorcerer, and Balaam. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 6 through 8, listen to the blessedness of, that is promised to, to God's children and then to the woe and the judgment that will come upon those who are unrepentant. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. What blessedness that we will have. This is how God owns us to be his, his very own. Again, in the very next verse, there's an important but. A contrast. But, notice, the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. As we've already noted, dear ones, a hypocrite is a liar. Is a liar. And so when it says, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, there is a place 
for all unrepentant hypocrites in hell. Both with regard to Ananias and with regard to Sapphira, it says that great fear fell upon all the church. And I want you to know, that's not bad. That's not bad. That's not evil. That's not wicked. That great fear fell upon all the church. It was good that great fear fell upon all the church. Those in the church were reminded that they could not mock God or lie to God by pretending to be a devoted Christian when their hearts were far away from the Lord and they were merely practicing a role. They were merely actors. church of Jerusalem needed, dear ones, and we need to grow in the fear of the Lord, the holy fear of the Lord, not a slavish fear, but a holy fear wherein we take God seriously. We do not play games with God. We do not mock God by trying to live a life different in public than we live at home, where our mouth says whatever it wants to say to members of our family, but we wouldn't dare say the same thing to those who are outside our home. That is inconsistency, and that is hypocrisy, dear ones. If anything, we should more carefully guard our tongues with those in our family, because we are more deeply related to those in our family by way of a covenant relationship, especially within a Christian family. God calls us to hold him in great awe and wonder. To take seriously his promises that he makes to us. To take seriously his warnings. To take seriously his means of grace to take seriously all his ordinances, to take seriously his Sabbath day, to take seriously our families that he has given to us and all the possessions that we have in this life. Take seriously all the benefits we have in Jesus Christ. To take God seriously. Dear ones, hypocrites are in the visible church of Jesus Christ. The visible church of Jesus Christ consists of those who profess the true religion and of their children. But there are no hypocrites. There are no unrepentant hypocrites in the invisible church of Jesus Christ. For that is the elect and the redeemed of God. And that was the point, dear ones, of the parable of the tares by the Lord Jesus. The enemy goes out and sows tares within the visible church throughout the world among those who profess faith in Jesus Christ and are baptized. Some are wheat, 
within the visible church and some are tares within the visible church. I don't know about you, but I assume you would agree with me. I don't want to be a tear. I want to be wheat to the glory of Jesus Christ. Unrepentant hypocrites, dear ones, may be willing to give to the church. Unrepentant hypocrites may be willing to offer external worship according to even pure forms of worship. Unrepentant hypocrites may even be willing to fast and go without food for a day. All these things they are willing to do, to willing to give up, so as to be seen by others as righteous. But there is one thing a hypocrite is not willing to sacrifice, nor to give up to God. He's not willing, or she's not willing to give his or her own heart to God. He or she is not willing to give his or her will to God. He or she is not willing to give his or her affections to God. An unrepentant hypocrite, dear ones, is not willing, as we said earlier, to examine himself or herself to see if he or she is in the faith because they fear what they because they fear what they may find out they don't want to know the truth an unrepentant hypocrite really does not want to know the truth he wants to live in his hypocrisy or her hypocrisy he or she wants to continue to live a lie i pray you do not want to live a lie that you want to live wholeheartedly sincerely to the glory of Jesus Christ. Dear ones, God has not given to you the example of Ananias and Sapphira so that you who trust alone in Jesus alone for your justification might live in doubt of your salvation. That's not the reason that God has given to us this as an example. One is not a hypocrite, dear ones, Listen to me very closely. One is not a hypocrite who continues to struggle by the grace of God and battles his or her hypocrisy and inconsistency in his or her own life. One who continues to war, who sees it, who hates it, despises it, and wants it to end, and yet struggles with hypocrisy, is not an unrepentant Hypocrite. One is not an unrepentant hypocrite, dear ones, who is transparent and honest before the Lord about his or her own hypocrisy. I'm reminded of the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18, 10 and following where they both came into the temple to pray and the Pharisee lifted up his head into heaven with pride, self-righteousness, telling God all that he had done and that God basically, in effect, 
should reward him for his righteousness, his own self-righteousness, that he had done this and done that and done that outwardly, and nothing directed toward the heart at all. But then came the, the cheating tax collector, the publican, who knew he was a sinner, who was honest before God, who was transparent, who could not even look up into heaven, but could only beat his chest and cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says it was the publican who left the temple justified, declared righteous by God. The just man falleth seven times and riseth again. Solomon says in Proverbs 24, verse 16, and so does the Christian who falls into hypocrisy. Seven times he rises up again. He recognizes what he's done. He confesses, he repents, he sorrows, he grieves, and then he eyes the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And he follows some of the steps that I just mentioned in the sermon today. Dear ones, you will learn not to run from such spiritual examination no matter what sin is exposed in your life because your faith is not nor can it ever be in your own righteousness. Anytime we would try to hide our sin from God, we're in effect acknowledging implicitly that for God to know that, for God, for us to admit and confess that, that God would treat us differently. We're in effect putting ourselves back under the covenant of works rather than under the covenant of grace. And as you grow in understanding his everlasting love for you, his dear children, his redeemed ones, his everlasting love for you that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will also grow in not fearing that examination. But we'll realize that God only reveals your sin, your hypocrisy, your lies, your covetousness, your double standards, because he loves you. Because he loves you and he wants those sins to be taken to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be crucified there. He wants you to reckon yourselves dead to that sin and alive to him in righteousness. He wants you to be growing to look more and more like Jesus Christ, not merely outwardly, but inwardly as well. And it's because we are absolutely and can be absolutely assured of God's eternal love for us that we can pray and that we can sing with David the words that we mentioned earlier in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, any wicked way, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer.
our Heavenly Father, we praise Thee and thank Thee, Thou God of our salvation. We praise Thee that Thou hast illuminated and opened our hearts and our minds even today by Thy Spirit to see, Lord, more clearly the, the sin of hypocrisy, sin of lying, the sin of covetousness, the sin of pride in our lives. But God, we pray, continue to work the good work which Thou has begun in us, Lord. Thou hast promised Thou will complete it. Thou will perfect it even to the day of Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Thy faithfulness. Our hope is in Thy truthfulness, that Thou will keep Thy word. We pray, Father, continue that work of sanctification in us. Grow us, O Lord, in understanding the gospel more and more every day, that everlasting love that Thou dost have for us, that whatever, Lord, Thou dost reveal in our lives by way of sin will not shake that love, will not minimize that love in the least, but that ever-flowing, inexhaustible love will ever continue through Jesus Christ unto us, thy redeemed and elect ones. We ask our God, may we be people of honesty, may we be people of integrity as we live before one another and as we live in before thee. We ask our God, hear our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.